Welcome to the Tech Interviews. This is the first in a series of shows that we're going to do looking at the challenges of data privacy. And my first guest is a returning guest to the podcast, Sheila Fitzpatrick. Sheila is a global data privacy attorney with nearly 35 years experience in the data privacy industry. So she's in a great position to give us an idea of the current data privacy landscape and some of the upcoming challenges that we're going to see. So this week, I asked Sheila just to set us a little bit of context around what we mean by data privacy, how we identify private and personal data, uh, the big difference between data privacy and data security, as well as to get a bit of an introduction onto the upcoming EU General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR. So plenty to pick up on, plenty to learn. Sit back, enjoy the show. So um, so to start this off, I'm ready to set some context around uh, the challenges. I'm very pleased to be joined by a very special guest, um, Sheila Fitzpatrick. Hi, Sheila. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And uh, you, you're, uh, you're in the UK at the moment, uh, enjoying, enjoying some time in London. How's that going? It's going very well. My meetings are going well. And uh, for once, UK is actually having beautiful weather. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't, don't rely on it sticking around, uh, is all I'd say. <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of. So, um, well, well, I've asked you to do this, and I appreciate your time for, uh, that you've given us doing this. Would, would you like to, uh, for, for the audience who maybe haven't heard you before on the show, um, kind of introduce uh, who you are, what it is you do, and maybe a little bit about your background and, um, you know, within context of, of why we're discussing data privacy today. Sure, happy to. So I um, currently am working as NetApp's um, Global Data Privacy Chief Privacy Officer, as well as the Worldwide Data Governance and Privacy Council. And I'm responsible for all aspects of complying with data privacy and data sovereignty regulations in over 165 countries. My background is for over 30, ooh, almost 35 years, I've been an international data privacy attorney specializing in um, all aspects of data protection, data privacy laws, and have worked very closely with the um, European Union data commissioners, as well as data commissioners in Canada, Asia Pacific, Latin America, and in the, the U.S., although the U.S. has probably the least restrictive data privacy laws than most of the rest of the world. So that's, uh, that's quite a background. And, um, you know, and for anybody who's listening to this thinking, well, data privacy, that's not going to be a very interesting topic. Uh, Sheila is a living embodiment of um, just how enthusiastic somebody can be about this topic. So, um, so you know, and I think that, that kind of passion for, for what is a complex topic, um, I think, can be very useful for people. So um, we'll, we'll just set some context around this as we talk around uh, data privacy and, and why that's important. Um, well, maybe you can give us a little bit, a little bit on that, actually. Why, why is data privacy important? Why is it something that we uh, should be paying attention to? Well, that's a great question because people always ask that. And first and foremost, you know, data is a company's greatest asset, but it can also be a company's greatest detriment if they're not addressing the legal and regulatory requirements around the collection of personal data. And when we talk about data privacy, we're really talking about the collection processing, access to sharing, storing, uh, transferring outside of the country of origination, even hosting when you talk about a cloud environment, any personal data of an individual. So uh, privacy laws don't pertain necessarily to company-related information, but they absolutely pertain to personal data, which is any piece of information that is identifiable to a person or can identify a person either directly or indirectly. People automatically think, oh, you mean sensitive information like, you know, social security number, national identification number, birth date, financial information, employee-related information. And the fact of the matter is personal data can be something as basic as your email address. 
It can even be IP address in certain jurisdictions because if you can go through a process to tie that data back to a particular individual, that is indirect personal data, and it is covered under privacy laws. And you mentioned with the new regulation, GDPR going into effect, the definition of personal data is becoming even deeper. So it's going to include things like uh, location data, biometric information, genetic information, um, you know, unique identifiers. So information that you wouldn't normally think of as personal data will absolutely be included under the definition of personal data and will be protected under the laws. And I look at privacy as being the full life cycle of that data that you collect. From the time you collect it to the time you destroy it, that entire wheel, if you think about it as a wheel, is personal, is personal data. So that's quite wide-reaching as well, and, and that maybe surprises quite a lot of people in, in uh, just how wide-ranging that is, because I think you know, I, I would have been certainly in the camp of it's, it's things that are reasonably identifiable as personal data. Um, but, yeah, it sounds far more wide-reaching than that. It is, it is far more wide-reaching, and unfortunately, a lot of, there's a lot of misconception out there around, you know, data privacy laws and what it actually means in terms of the protection of personal data. And many individuals and companies automatically think that if they have tight security in place, they've addressed their privacy obligations. And that's absolutely not the case. You know, I talked earlier about the wheel of data privacy being a wheel that encompasses the full life cycle of personal data. And one spoke on that wheel is security. I mean, it's a very important spoke. But if the only thing you're looking at is security around encryption of the data or building firewalls, to protect that data from unauthorized access and use. That's extremely important, but you could be putting firewalls and encrypting data that you're not legally allowed to have. So you have to start by addressing your data privacy obligations before you can even start looking at security and technology. Yeah, and I think that's, um, that, that, that's an interesting, um, interesting differentiation. So I know when we've spoken in the past about this around uh, data privacy and, and security, um, and, and that was one of the questions I was going to ask, actually. I think you probably just answered that. But, um, you know, is there anything else you want to add about what, what the difference is as, as maybe as business people handling, uh, handling technology and handling data? I mean, is there any, any other kind of areas of differentiating between privacy and security? Well, there are. There's actually three concepts that you think about. You think about data privacy, data protection, and data security. So, you know, data privacy, again, I'll reiterate, is that wheel. It's, it's the full life cycle of the personal data that you legally are allowed to collect, process, access, store, share, transfer, host in a cloud environment. And tied to data privacy as, as the wheel, the foundation, are different areas of concern or different spokes on that wheel. One being data protection, which is data protection in the true sense of the word, the legal definition would be the backup and disaster recovery of that information, the ability to retrieve it should your system go down or should you need to back up that data in the case of a, a, a natural disaster or some, you know, um, disaster that happens internally with your systems. Security is actually the fortress around that data. It's the, the wall that you build, that protectionism that, that keeps that data away from unauthorized users and only allows those that are authorized to have access to the data based on their role, their responsibility, their geographical coverage, or what we like to call their legal and relevant need to know. 
And so you have to deal with the privacy aspect up first, which is what are you allowed to collect? How transparent have you been with the data subjects when you're collecting that data? Do you have the explicit and unambiguous consent of the individual to collect their data? Where are you allowed to store that data? Are you allowed to move that data outside of the jurisdiction where the data originates? Do you have opt-ins and opt-outs in place that allow that individual at any point in time to come in and tell you, I don't want you using my data for that specific purpose anymore? You also have regulations around data retention and destruction that define how long you can maintain that personal data once it's no longer needed. So again, it's looking at that full life cycle of the data. If you start with the security aspect by saying, well, we're going to encrypt the data or we're going to build firewalls around the data, that's extremely important, but it's, it doesn't become important until you've dealt with that fundamental aspect of data privacy and whether or not you're even allowed to have that data, if you're using it for the purpose for which it was collected, if you're storing it in the jurisdiction where you're allowed to store it in, if you automatically encrypt data that you weren't allowed to have to begin with, then that security component is not going to help you. And unfortunately, a lot of companies only look at security, and in particular, when you vet third-party providers, it drives me crazy when I ask how they comply with data privacy laws and they point me to a URL on their encryption technology. because That's not what I'm asking them. They're giving me a security answer to a privacy question. And, and that shows me they do not understand the fundamental difference or understand the fundamental aspects of data privacy laws. Yeah, and it, it sounds like the, you know, the, the difference between the two are, you know, securing the data, as you said, is, is critically important. But actually, question number one is, what data do you have and really should you have that data at all? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, well, one of the so that says some great context around uh, data privacy and and when we talk about data privacy, what we mean by uh, the, the privacy of data, what and what kind of data that we're talking about. So one of the things that's obviously very high on the agenda for lots of organisations, and not just in the UK, and, and probably not just in the and certainly not just in the EU, I think globally, uh, is is this uh, four-letter acronym that we're seeing an awful lot now, GDPR. Um, and that was kind of what, uh, one of the things I wanted to delve into next. Um, in, uh, and maybe as a starter, so, so what, what, what is that four-letter acronym? What, what is GDPR? What does it mean? Sure. So GDPR um, stands for the new EU General Data Protection Regulation. And what it is, it's an absolute fundamental massive change in data privacy laws, probably the biggest change in almost 20 years. And what it's, the intention of GDPR is to replace the current EU data protection directive. And the difference here is that although the directive is certainly a guideline and a foundation that has to be complied with, a regulation is actually a law and it, and it carries a lot more power um, than, than an actual um, directive would carry. So GDPR, one of the biggest changes in is that it's going to be extraterritorial, meaning that regardless of whether or not you have any operations um, or any presence in the EU, if you have access to the personal data of an EU citizen, you will be obligated to comply with GDPR. And that's, that is a massive change. So many companies that have never had to comply with the EU directive because they've either been data processors or they might be providing a service on behalf of a company 
but they really haven't had any obligations to comply with privacy laws, will now see a fundamental change. They will, they will be obligated. So say, for instance, you're a company that's established in Australia, and you only operate within Australia. But if you have access to the personal data of an EU citizen, maybe your customer is an EU citizen, or maybe you have employees in-house that hold EU citizenship, you will automatically be obligated to comply with the new regulation when it goes into effect on May 25th of 2018. It, it provides for greater responsibility on both the part of the data controller and the data processor. So in the past, many data processors, which are companies that provide services on behalf of a company. So say, for instance, NetApp, if we outsourced any of our operations or any of our um, applications to a third party, and those applications and those services impacted personal data. In the past, our data processors, although we held them accountable through data privacy agreements and model contractual clauses, they weren't necessarily obligated in terms of sanctions placed on them if they were to violate data privacy laws. The obligation would be more if they were violating their contractual obligation to NetApp. But under GDPR, there's very clearly articulated responsibilities on the part of data processors. They can no longer pass sole liability for data privacy compliance back to their customers. And that's going to be a fundamental and very major change in mindset, in culture, in work models for third-party providers, especially cloud providers. That's going to be a huge area for them. Um, there's other obligations under GDPR, uh, such as um, companies are going to have to obtain explicit, freely given, not forced um, consent from every individual. So you know a lot of times when you're online and you're, you're looking at a site and you want information, there's a statement that says, you know, by providing your email address, you're allowing us to market you or to send you information related to our services, products, and events. Those type of statements can no longer be used because that's an implied or forced consent. It now has to be a very clear and explicit consent saying, I allow you to collect and use my data for the following purposes. And companies are going to be obligated to not only obtain that consent, but to comply with the conditions of that consent. And individuals at any point in time are going to be allowed to go back and withdraw that consent. And companies have to be prepared for that and be prepared to delete all of the personal data they've collected on that individual if they exercise the right to, to opt out, or they exercise their right to what's called the right to be forgotten, which is another area that companies are struggling with um, because companies right now are trying to prepare for GDPR. And under the right to be forgotten, the law says that any individual has the right to exercise the right to be forgotten or the right to erasure if there is no longer a business relationship with a particular company or organization, if there is no legal requirement to maintain the data, so there's no requirement under, you know, financial services industry or the healthcare industry or government regulations that, that may uh, mandate how long data has to be maintained. So if someone exercises the right to opt out, companies are going to have to know where that data is, and they're going to have to have the ability to destroy that data. And that's, that's a very complex uh, process for companies to figure out.
I hope you enjoyed that first part of the interview. I think that set some great context for us around the current data privacy landscape, some of the challenges that we see, and the upcoming EU general data protection regulation. Next week, myself and Sheila delve a little bit more into that regulation and some of the impacts that it may have on us as businesses, um, and some of the things that we can start to do to build good, strong data privacy policies. So if you don't want to miss that show, why not subscribe? You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as all other good homes of podcasts. So until next week, thanks for listening.